welcome to Mod Path Chat, the official podcast of modern pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the editor-in-chief of Modern Pathology and the chair of pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto. Welcome to today's Mod Path Chat. I'm pleased to have with us a most promising young pathologist, physician scientist, Dr. Daniela Hirsch from Heidelberg, Germany. Dr. Hirsch is finishing her sixth year of training. They train for six years in, in Germany at the Institute of Pathology at the University of Heidelberg. Her scientific interest is in the molecular underpinning of intestinal cancer. This goes back to her doctoral thesis at the University of Regensburg, and also subsequently where she came across the Atlantic and spent some time, a couple of years of a postdoc at the NCI working uh, on the same topic. Her work has already earned her prestigious awards, including the Rudolf Virchow Award of German Society of Pathology. I hope, I hope I pronounced it correctly. Dr. Hirsch is here today to discuss her ModPath publication on the molecular characteristic of ulcerative colitis-associated uh, colorectal cancer. Very important topic. So thank you, Daniela, for accepting my invitation. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Netto, for this very kind introduction and having me. It's a great pleasure and honor to be here with you and discuss our recent study. You should be you should be proud. It's a, it's a great study, and uh, I'm uh, I'm really impressed of what how by what you've accomplished already, uh, uh, and uh, hopefully you'll do even more as a faculty. So it is intentional that we have on this uh, chat uh, young investigators and and trainees uh, to to cover the whole spectrum of our uh, uh, stars. So let's let's get to the paper, and uh, and as usual, let's start with. The rationale. Why, uh, why did you do the study? Well, the study was actually prompted by a previous study that we did in Crohn's colitis patients, where we characterized the dynamics of the genome alterations that underpin the colorectal cancer development in those patients. And there we found that they have distinct genomic signatures that are distinct from the ones in sporadic colorectal cancer. And we also saw that the tumor development starts at the genomic level before we see any morphologic changes. And we wanted to follow up on that and see whether that's the same or similar patterns in ulcerative colitis. And so we began okay. to collect samples for that project. So we'll get to the design. That's that's good enough reason. So so you move from Crohn to uh, to a cousin lesion to UC. Now, uh, how, how did you design the study? How many patients and what kind of technology you used? We collected or we, 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 we identified 19 patients at our institution that had a longstanding history of ulcerative colitis at the time of colorectal cancer diagnosis and for which we had resection specimens. Mostly those were proctocolectomy specimens. Mm -hmm. And then we performed microsatellite instability testing. We performed P53 immunostaining, ERIC-based comparative genomic hybridization, and a targeted sequencing using a 48 gene panel. So the TrueSeq uh, Lumina 48 gene. And for, yeah. 
And for the uh, studying the microsatellite instability, you did both. You did MSI, uh, and you also did uh, uh, immunohistochemistry for MMR genes, right? Yes, we did both. We did uh, PCR with the Bethesda panel and the Promega panel, a combination of both, and the four microsatellite markers, MLH1, MSH2, MSH6, and PMS2. Excellent. So the, the patients were 19 patients, but I realized there were 25 total cancer cases. So I imagine there were some uh, synchronous lesions, right? Yes, there were 24 cancer samples. And so there were four patients that had synchronous colorectal cancer lesions. And, and we'll come back to that uh, because it kind of helped you uh, in making drawing some conclusions about the phylogenic uh, progression of this cancer and the field effect. So uh, what were the findings? Well, the, the first thing we did was the microsatellite testing. So all of them were microsatellite stable. Um, and then we continued to investigate chromosomal instability and performed array-based comparative genomic hybridization as a surrogate. And we found that all of the cancers had copy number alterations. Um, the pattern of chromosomal aneuploidies reflected the patterns that we usually see in sporadic colorectal cancer with one significant difference. And that was the gain of chromosome arm 5P, which <laughs> was gained in about 50% of our cases with ulcerative colitis, but is only gained in a minority of sporadic colorectal cancers between 10 and 15%, depending on the cohort. And, and, and there's an important point to say that your, your historic control, you use the TCGA basically to comp as a comparator, yes, right? Yes, we use the TCGA and also compared it to previous cohorts that we have analyzed with uh, area-based comparative genomic hybridization, but the results are very similar. That's interesting. So, so there must be something at the chromosome 5P. And uh, in terms of P53, what did you find? Mutation profiling revealed that, um, as expected, the most frequent mutation was P53, um, which was mutated in a little more than 80% of cases in our cohort, which is in line with the literature and other studies. Um, Mutations in all other genes were rare and below 20%, um, which includes APC, which is mutated frequently at about 75% in sporadic colorectal cancer, but here rare. Also KRAS, only 20% mutated in colitis-associated cancers versus about 40% in the sporadic setting. So the, the high rate of P53, that's in contrast to sporadic. I mean, I know you mentioned the wind signaling and the tyrosine receptor kinase were, were lower than sporadic. How about the P53? It's higher than? P53 is a little higher in the colitis setting, but marginally. I mean, it's about 69%, I think, in the sporadic and 80% in our cohort. So, so that's, uh, that's... It's good. a minor difference, so... And uh, speaking of P53, how, how did you, con I know you did it uh, by immunohistochemistry in addition to being part of the gene panel. How, uh, how do you interpret the immunohistochemistry? Because I realize there are some changes. I know I learned something from reading your paper. Um, we, we tried to confirm the mutations that we found by immunohistochemistry and staying for P53 using the D07 antibody from Darko Echeland. And 
Usually, mesense mutations in p53 lead to a very strong nuclear accumulation of p53 in the mutated pattern, whereas truncating mutations in p53 usually lead to a complete loss of staining. And in the wild-type setting of p53, one usually observes a regulated expression, meaning that there's some weakly positive nuclei and there's some negative nuclei. So, so strong, extensive nuclear staining correlates with mutation, but yeah. also total absence of nuclear staining. And I think that's the point I wanted to emphasize for the audience because uh, a lot of people don't don't think of that as as part of that because of due to a truncating mutation. So that's something important to remember. You agree? Yes, definitely. And it did correlate with your sequencing. Wonderful. So, uh, so they were MSS. There was some five uh, P uh, gains, right? You said I, I think yes. it was gains, and uh, which was salient, and they were all stable, and uh, the rest pretty much comparable to to the ones in the non-colitis setting. Uh, so, how do you? Uh, how does that help you now? You mentioned that this could be possibly an early detection. And also, you touched a little bit, and I think we have some time to discuss that, about the phylogenic. In cases that were synchronous, uh, it clued you in to uh, whether it's field effect or whether uh, there is how, how these cancers pop up in these patients. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the early detection, I mean, there's at least two challenges in the diagnosis of early lesions in patients with ulcerative colitis. One challenge is, is it dysplasia already or is it still regenerative changes and no dysplasia? And certainly we think that the detection of genomic alterations, which include P53 or also the gain of chromosome M5P or aneuploidy in general, could help to detect these histologically not visible tumor evolution. Um, that can certainly progress to cancer. And the second challenge is to distinguish whether a lesion is truly associated to colitis or whether it's a sporadic precursor lesion that develops, which has implications for treatment. And since we know that we do usually not observe gains of chromosome 5P in sporadic colorectal cancers and even less in sporadic adenomas, we could use this to as a biomarker to help distinguish the two entities. Really, that would be would be great. So if you're looking at a at a polyp or an adenoma and you're trying to decide because patient has UC, is this just part of the sporadic background that these patients like any can have versus is it related to the process? You think using 5P and uh, and anything else, the P53 or MSS or or just the 5P will help. I don't think that um, MSS or microsatellite testing will help because the MSI cases are rare and most sporadic adenomas are MSS are as well. So we certainly P53 one can discuss because P53 is usually mutated later in the sporadic colorectal carcinogenesis compared to the uh, to the colitis-related carcinogenesis. Um, but to be honest, I think it's probably a combination of both mutation of P53 and copy number changes, including specifically the 5P, but 
it's not just the 5P that we observe. We copy number load from our gut feeling is higher in the colitis-associated lesions as well compared to sporadic adenomas. Which it's makes nothing sense. that we have formally assessed yet. That's something we are working on, but that's so all. That's, that's where you want to take it next step is, is see the implication of the 5P or identify a biomarker that can help you not only in cases where is it inflammation, is it reactive atypia versus is true early dysplasia that is not visible yet and in, yes. in the setting of the sporadic. So you can... Uh, that's that's a great line to pursue, and that hopefully will uh, will help and uh, lead to. Uh, because I know this is a question. Thankfully, I don't do GI anymore, but that's a question that a lot of uh, pathologists face uh, in their practice. So that would be great. Well, uh, and a word about the phylogenic, the cases that are uh, synchronous. Yeah. I mean, we we saw that the most frequent mutation is in p53 and. Even though most of the colorectal cancers have a p53 mutation, also the synchronous ones, they are usually distinct. So if a patient has two synchronous carcinomas, in most of the instances, both, both of them have a p53 mutation, but usually the two mutations are not the same, indicating that likely they arose independent from one another. So you have so you have the field effect, the background instability, and then different pathways going into different p53 mutation leading to the two synchronous tumors. Yes. But it indicates that p53 is the central yeah. player in this process because apparently tumors that have a mutation in p53 have some kind of advantage because I think otherwise we would see more diversity there. And and they're more p permissive for the chromosomal instability because of Correct, the certainly they are. activation of the p Well, great. Uh, uh, amazing work. Uh, very, uh, uh, very informative. I, I enjoyed uh, the chat uh, and I'm sure our audience uh, will learn a lot. And good luck to you uh, with your future endeavor. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much for the great pleasure and honor for me as well. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of Modern Pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAP. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Netto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.